0: Hello from Cybrary and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. I'm the host of the episode today, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist and Advisory CISO at Dylania. And it's a pleasure to be back with you today and I've got another great episode. Uh, today I've got a special guest who's joined me. Um, George Eben has joined me for today's show. So George, do you want to give us a little introduction about yourself and what you do and some of the fun facts that uh, um, you like to, to get up to? Hey
1: Joe, nice to meet you. I'm George Eben. I'm the group CIO of Petrofac. So I oversee the IT digital cyber strategy of my company. And uh, I'm a cybersecurity enthusiast. Spent last 10 years in the field of cybersecurity before I took the CIO role. So it was a fun transition from the CISO to CIO. Uh, and that's, that's pretty much about myself.
0: Any, any fun facts, anything, any hobbies or anything you like to get up to? What's, uh, what do you do in your spare time?
1: So I have a three-year, six-month-old son, so I don't have much free time to be honest. <laughs> so my, my All the time, if I'm not working, is is with my son. It's with my family. Okay. So this keeps me really busy.
0: Absolutely. That's always important is, is to make sure you always get the balance and, and family time is always important. It's sometimes hard in our industry as well, yeah. um, you know, because uh, the industry itself is always – it never stops. Um, whether the threats are never stopping um, or it's something that we always have to do continuous learning. There's always something new or some new trend or new technology that yep. we'll stay up to date with. And for today's show, what we really wanted to talk about was two, two major things. Was One was about the importance of privilege access management, as well as also kind of where things stand today with remote working. So I'd like to get started into kind of wh- when did you realize um, in your role an organization about how important it was about protecting identities and privilege access, you know being a top security priority. Uh, what was the, what was the realization? when did you start realizing that was something that you needed to be doing?
1: So when I started my journey in my current organization, um, I have realized that what is critical to me, and I have identified that to avoid an enterprise level cyber incident. It can be a ransomware, it can be an attack where my data is being wiped or being, you know, lost, mm-hmm. or it can be it can be anything which can cause disruption to my business continuity. So so one of my key priority when I started my my role was to make sure there's no an enterprise-wide cyber attack. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because there will be always cyber risk. And, you know, But Mm -hmm. what really I want to avoid was anything which can impact the business continuity. The second element which I was extremely focused was ensure that we are compliant to the regulations where we are operating. So Mm -hmm. I started my journey with these two priorities. And I want to figure out how do I, you know, get to the details (laughs) of programs I need to run or investment I need to make. But these were the two uh, key objectives I was hoping to achieve. And in my very early journey in my current organization, I have learned that if you want to avoid an enterprise-wide cyber incident, you have to protect your key services, right? Right. So it can be your domain controller, uh, DNS, or any other services which is connected to the rest of your uh, systems, right? Mm-hmm. and that's where i figured out that uh, if you are going with the layered security control approach uh, one of the key control that you definitely need to have was protecting your identities and mm-hmm. uh, yeah. managing your privilege access users was actually a key control in this journey and that's where i figured out that it's a it's a it's a not a good to do investment rather a must investment for me
0: Absolutely. And it's like, I've seen, you know, even myself, you know, responding, you know, in my, sometimes I wear multiple hats and, you know, primarily focused around security research. And sometimes I do get involved into things like instant response or penetration testing. And a lot of times when I look back and uh, pretty much most of the incidents that I've worked on, uh, whether it being, you know, data loss or ransomware cases, that they've all targeted, the attackers have targeted privilege accounts and organizations, because it's the one that gives them the greatest access. It allows them to hide their tracks, and it also allows them to get the greatest reach uh, in the environment if they do want to bring it to its knees by deploying something like ransomware. So, absolutely, when I look at a lot of the attacks, you know, some of the sensitive areas that organizations need to be resilient is around protecting uh, privilege access for sure. So, when you started, kind of, so when you look at the, those two top priorities, when you're looking at one is you know, enterprise-wide security, and also uh, the compliance side of it. Uh, when you did start your your journey, what was you know what was the top threats that you were w- worried about? You know, you know things like was it business email compromise? Was it identities been stolen? Uh, what was the top threats that you were looking to mitigate uh, by taking this approach?
1: Look, I was actually playing it a bit more high level, right? So mm-hmm. I was not worried about some of those threats uh, because there will be always business email compromise. There will be mm-hmm. always you know. Users' identity being compromised. There will be always job scams. So, as a CISO, right, you you need to be you need to be accepting the fact that there is no perfect world where you can bring the cyber risk to absolute zero. Your role as a CISO is to minimize the cyber risk, right? Yep. And to make sure whatever uh, you know you operate your uh, business in a safe environment. You because i can i can absolutely make a zero uh, i can actually increase my controls to a level where i can really try to aim for a zero cyber risk environment but <laughs> at that point of time maybe you know you are doing things which probably will not help you to drive other priorities like digital transformation right um so it may also have a significant impact on employee experience so coming back to your question um i was more interested in Ensuring the business resiliency.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Now, as a CISO, right, or historically, most of the CISOs always think about how to reduce the probability of a cyber attack. Mm -hmm. My thought was more about how do I, yes, I need to reduce the probability of an attack, but I also need to reduce the impact of an attack, so things like data backup, how good is your data backup? Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, Joe, my strategy was not, yes, you will try your developers best to minimize all these attack vectors, but I'm accepting the fact that in spite of your amazing job, right, you will still have some issues. So it's more about how do you minimize the impact of those issues?
0: Absolutely. And that's the right way to do it. I mean, you know, too often do a lot of you know, uh, scissors come from a you know, very technology security background and they see themselves as enforcers of security. And you're absolutely right is that we have to, and this is why we've seen the importance of the business role, which is the business information security officer, which focuses from the business aspect of things and how to translate security into business initiatives. So you're absolutely right that one of the main things here is our job, and I realized you know, many years ago that my job is, is not to enforce security. My job is to listen and understand business risk. And if I can identify the business risk, then the goal would be is how do we use our cybersecurity skills and knowledge to reduce the risk by enabling more resiliency? How do we make sure that, that when there is a cyber attack, that the services continue, con, continue with as little disruption as possible? So absolutely, I think, you know, this is where it's really important that many organizations really need to take this as a risk approach. And really focusing, uh, I learned in Estonia years ago, where they started evolving and they look at everything from a service aspect. Is what is the service we're delivering? What are we offering? What makes up that service? What's the critical components? And to your point, you know, um, backup and, and recovery is an important part of resiliency and how to make sure, you know, is it being tested? Is it resilient against all the different threats out there? And when something does happen, uh, do you know that you can recover? Um, so absolutely, you're, you're spot on regarding the business side of things. It's really important to, to make that definition. Awesome. So, so one of the things I'd like to understand as well, when, when you started thinking about you know the different types of privileges and identities in your organization, um, today, we're seeing a massive shift, you know, from, you know, a lot of time, and especially during a lot of initiatives, we we tend to highlight the user, the the employee, the person yep. side of things. Um, but I've seen, especially in a lot of organizations, that the fastest growing area is even, you know, sometimes we hear referred to as the machine identities. I tend to refer to as the non-human identities, which... And honestly, regardless, this, all identities are non-human because they're just associated. It's it's, it's a mapping side of things. Um, but what other types of identities are you seeing in your organization um, that you have to manage that are, that are not human side of things where it's not somebody behind the keyboard entering a password, but it could be something like even code. It could be a script. It could be an application. It could be infrastructure. What types of identities and, and privileges did you see that you needed to to prioritize and focus on?
1: Look, I think uh, definitely you need to uh, protect your core infrastructure. So identities which has access to your core infrastructure services. Um, identities which have access to your most critical data, right? Um, identities which have access to your core services, right? Mm-hmm. And identities which has access to your critical business applications. So <clears throat> to me, we we have we started our journey by understanding ourselves better, right? For exactly. example, um, <clears throat> we always see a lot of applications in any ecosystem we go, right? I'm not talking about my current kind of organization. I'm bringing a broader perspective here. Mm-hmm. But the question here is how many of those applications are actively used, right? So mm-hmm. I think we need to bring a lot of data science into cybersecurity to really <laughs> understand what are we protecting, because most of the times we build the the great wall around everything with an aim to protect everything, which is in a, in a traditional world is super expensive, right. And more time consuming. Um, So the question which I asked when I started my journey was, okay, do we need all these things? Can we lean? Can we eliminate? Can we standardize? Um, Mm -hmm. We did the same for our identities, right? So, but to, really go after my you know identities impact touch using key application i started with application right visibility of all our application visibility to our core services asking the right set of questions, why do we need it so it took a basic i will say a cleanup cleanup is not the right word rather you know uh, challenging the status quo and go to a state where now we understand yeah it is good it is needed the second part was how do we create identities how do we uh, offboard identities do we have mm-hmm. all those processes, right? Now, once we have all those things, then we, again, went in the phased approach where we started onboarding our infrastructure identities. It can mm-hmm. be a network administrator operating our firewall. It can be a domain admin who has access to a domain controller or our active directory. And that part, which was one of the most critical phase of our journey, mm-hmm. once got completed, we moved to our application journey where we looked into our most critical application. And we don't want to go after everything, but it was worth to go after our ERP, right? So we look mm-hmm. into our DB administrators who can make DML commands, right? And we onboard yeah. them. So, and if you ask me, did I onboard all my identities? No, but I have a reasonable <laughs> level of assurance that the identities which I should care about has been onboarded to a privilege access management uh, tool. But... Going back again it's not the tool right we need to we mm-hmm. need to if you don't have the right culture right hygiene right processes i don't think the tool will solve the problem right because you will start you know creating identities which in one way or other way right maybe cause you problems
0: no, absolutely I think it's really about making sure that you get all the companies together. I always say that when you're investing in something um, a new you know from a security strategy, you have to not just think about it from a tool perspective but you also have to think about as a process how, how, how can it be used correctly? Um, and then that also means if you want to make sure you've got process and, and, and a tool, then you actually also need to think about the training how to make sure that people are aware how to use it correctly, to configure it, how to make sure the processes are followed. And not only about using it, but also making sure that when you implement install, that's configured correctly as well. So you're absolutely right that all of those things need to be equally invested in to make sure um, that you get the most value. And you're absolutely spot on is that, I've taken the same approach in the past, I remember, when uh, being brought in to, to help an organization, they were looking from, a, it was a data loss prevention perspective. And it was very hard to, to do DLP because the data changed so often. And it was much easier to do it from an application perspective. If you knew the application, then you basically just understood that the application, these applications have access to all of this data. So therefore, you basically put the rules in an application side of things. And as long as you protect the access to the applications, it was a lot kind of less, kind of let's say, workload and less complexity when you focus at that perspective. And you're absolutely right as well as that you don't need everything. You need to make sure that you look at it from that risk approach that not all identities, not all privileges, not everything all has the same amount of risk. So you're actually going through making sure you know what risk do they carry? What do they pose if they were compromised or ever abused? What's the potential outcome of those? So then going from a, from a risk perspective again. And just to add to that,
1: Joe, just to add to that, it's not the visibility sometimes, right? We we probably will be in a position to get good visibility on all the potential identities used in a ecosystem, including human and non-human accounts. But the knowledge of what are these identities supposed to do or what are they doing, mm-hmm. right? That is not an easy information. And in the historical world, you do with a lot of back and forth discussions with business to understand some mm-hmm. of those. Why you need the service account? What is it doing, right? And you always get into that situation of getting into that unknown space where what impact if I probably you know clean up this identity will it will it break an operational thing, right? So, so it's there's no easy answer, right? That's that's how it operates.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I've have seen I've seen in the past where you know looking at a service account, everyone's going. Does anyone know the password to this account? And, and and I think the consultant who had configured the application like maybe five or six years ago had already left and moved on to other companies. Yeah. And everyone's going around. Like, well, what if we if we disable this? What impact does it have? What does it break? And everyone was really afraid of of what this was going to break because no one knew how it was associated or what it was dependent on. Uh, and ultimately, after doing a lot of mapping and understanding, if they actually turned or changed that service actually their entire backup strategy would feel because it was actually related to backing up uh, and archiving emails and other services. It It was such a critical service that no one actually knew what it did, but until they actually did a proper investigation, they actually realized how critical that service was, but actually, and also that it needed to be the same credential, password, and all of those other systems. So even if they disabled that, it would actually, you know, brought a major service to the business down. Uh, but again, they need to go through the process of making sure well, how can we make sure that the risk of that that account should not have a static password uh, for that such a long time? So, how do we to make sure that they can bring all of that over to process to make sure that the system manages it and rather than actually leaving it to be unmanaged? Uh, so, it was a major risk as well. And, and, and so, what?
1: That's a great example, Joe, and mm-hmm. it's a fantastic example. In my opinion, right? The visibility that you have a weak spot in that service account because a mm-hmm. static password is, that is great. Because now you can probably have a better monitoring of that account or compensating controls to still mm-hmm. mitigate the risk, right? Uh, the real problem is, I call it the sitting ducks, right? So not knowing these vulnerabilities are the problem, right? So, but yeah. once we have good visibility to your weak spots, you can actually plan compensating controls.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it's 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 going through, and, and it's it's knowing, it's it's getting that knowledge and, and knowing uh, the kind of the risk landscape out there. So it is. So what what lessons on your journey when you started this and you went down the path and you realized you know uh, privilege access and securing identities was an important part, and you looked at kind of mapping it from the business resiliency side of things. Uh, what lessons did you learn along the way? What were some of the things that you would, if you were to go back and redo it again, or what lessons or what would you change or um, you know what for the audience uh, should they consider as they go down this path as well?
1: So I think in my opinion, um, I'm probably quite uh, uh, happy with my team and the journey we had in my organization uh, where uh, I actually... Got a greenfield estate where we actually implement a lot of good controls. So, if you ask me, what we'll do different? Um, I, I, honestly, I probably will do the same things. But uh, <laughs> I think uh, we need to we need to actually uh, have a very good view of how you are layering your security controls, right? Because mm-hmm. um, today we have a lot of discussion on big, big theme, zero trust, that, this, right? Mm-hmm. And I've seen most of the uh, partners or security vendors, they have put to platforms. Mm-hmm. They can do more than one thing they were historically doing, right? Um, I personally feel what we have done quite well in my organization was before making any tech investment, we fixed the processes, we fixed the culture piece, mm-hmm. we did the cleanup, what we also did was we looked into our historical investments. We I saw that actually 80% of my... Um, so if I split my investments into endpoint, email, mm-hmm. cloud, and network, I saw that 80% of my investment was going to endpoint
0: historically, right? <laughs>
1: Before I started yeah. my journey. And then I saw that 80% of that investment is going to one single vendor. So technically, we put a lot of uh, all eggs in one basket, right? And we are relaying Mm -hmm. on one particular vendor to make sure that, you know, they will be able to uh, prevent from any any, any enterprise-level event. I -hmm. always believe in patient zero. So I believe that, you know, there will be always a new variant which maybe, you know, uh, your partner will not be able to prevent. So what we did was actually layered our controls in a way that we made mm-hmm. our investments in all the right places. And today, if you look at of an attack, right, the way it starts is it starts with the phishing or an identity mm-hmm. compromise. 97% of the, of the threats or attacks today starts with an identity compromise, right? And phishing is the most commonly used. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that, right? What we can do to reduce the probability of phishing? Better tools, email security, and cybersecurity awareness. Mm-hmm. So the, it, so industry, on an average industry, in any organization when you do phishing simulations and all, normally you see 10 to 15% still click on the phishing link. Mm-hmm. and Most of them, they are not repeat users, right? They're unique users. So when you do it two times in a span of one quarter, you see the number is around 10 to 15, these are different set of employees, right? So it's because maybe they have a bad day. They were mm-hmm. they were weak on that moment, right? So it's quite human. Mm-hmm. Now, with amazing uh, investment in phishing, uh, sorry, in awareness, right? What we have done is reduced that to 3 to 5%. But it's still 3 mm-hmm. to 5%, right? And I have talked to a lot of my peers, what's their outcome? And in spite of doing massive campaigns, they still have 3 to 5% of population. Now, yep. what it means to me that actually, that is my entitlement, right? I can't make it zero, period. It's, so,
0: it's, it's, yeah. it's impossible to make it zero.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so, so assume you have your identity compromised of one of your users. Now, mm-hmm. that that identity can be used to land in, in your ecosystem, right? Now, mm-hmm. once you land in your ecosystem, maybe it's a server, maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's your endpoint, that's where your EDR right tools may play mm-hmm. a role right. In my case, we invested in two EDRs right
0: uh, purely because good de- it's good to it's good to de-risk things as well. You know, yes. sometimes you want to have like you know one one might catch something and the other might not.
1: <laughs> yes, and what we have done is actually the first one year we were hmm. looking the alerts from both EDRs and one EDR was missing something. I'll send it to that team. Why it got missed so it. Mm -hmm. We were able to fine-tune things. Same for the other one. So uh, we reached a level where we are quite happy that we tightened up, you know, uh, our EDR systems quite well. Mm -hmm. So, but when you talk about lateral movement, right? So eventually what will happen is it's a lateral movement from, you know, internally. And then it will go to privilege escalation, right? So MimicX. So what we have seen is actually Mm -hmm. you can have a lot of controls to capture a lateral movement. Mm -hmm. So that means... The attack has not happened but the bad guy is in your system and he's moving around and you can still catch yeah. it right so there are different technologies which could do that in our case we have an india which is doing that um, mm-hmm. long story short if all those controls failed then finally right through privilege escalation they could access to your domain right now this is where a privilege access management which is my final control right which is which i yeah. believe will prevent protect me because if i know all my key services and if all my key services can be accessed through a PAM, right? So I'm actually trying to protect my domain and main identity because it's not it's not a password. It's it's a real-time mm-hmm. uh, connection which is established, which gets uh, over once that uh, session is over. And, you know, we have a, a secret server of uh, Delinea, which we are using, mm-hmm. which has a variety of So my point here is actually, Joe, I don't want, any of my threat actors to reach to the final level because I have N number of controls which I layered which can prevent it to reach my final step right. So I still feel if I do this again I will do a layered approach. I will try to Mm -hmm. make sure the investment is going in in different direction rather stacking up it in one level where you're completely vulnerable once if that layer breaks and um, make the right investment. Um, uh, One thing which I have done is historically a uh, lot of time we, 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 we as security professionals, right, one of my observations is once we get into a contract, right, we continue that. And we don't want to reduce our spending on cybersecurity because it's one, one of the topmost priority for all of us. Mm. So um, the initial sales is difficult. But if I or anyone look into the contracts and during a, uh, you know, a COVID time when we are pushing for cost out, one idea, we don't really squeeze the security because we don't want to compromise. So what I'm trying to tell here is there's a good chance that you may have a lot of legacy engagements and technology was fast changing and rapidly changing. Yeah. Maybe you have a much, much, much better technology out there. So you should be ready to change your incumbents. You should be ready to mm-hmm. take a critical look to challenge your existing status quo rather continue running it.
0: I know it was a quite a long response, <laughs> but I hope... No, you're... You're absolutely spot on. I think you're just going through the different layers, and, and you know, and and de-risking things along the way to make sure that you know you want at least you, you first of all you want to make it as difficult for the attacker as possible, and all of those layers across the way will at least force sometimes the attackers to change their techniques because it might stop them from either you know moving laterally or gaining access to other systems or you know elevating privileges. You, you, what you're doing is you're forcing them to to you know, use techniques which are typically more noisy. And as, as they're creating more noise, it gives you a chance to detect them much earlier. Um, so absolutely, defense in depth and, and, and layered approach and, and you know, uh, assuming uh, you're absolutely, when, when you talked about, you know, even getting the click rate down, is that the internet and the browsers were created to click on. And to try and get employees to, to not click on something is, you know, somewhat telling them not to do their job. Um, and we're never going to turn everybody into cybersecurity professionals, and that's not you know, something we're going to be able to achieve. I remember we had a, had a conversation recently at the conference, and we were chatting about uh, there was a particular talk that was on about uh, cybersecurity awareness, and one of the things I raised was that you know, you're know you always going to have somebody who clicks on something, and it's, it's thinking about assuming that that will happen. What other defenses do you have in place to protect your organization? And that's what's critical is, 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 is when you assume that that fence falls and that people are, you know, attackers are on a network and they have access to this, is that you have to start assuming that, okay, what if, what if this fence falls? What do you have that's there to protect, you know, the, the flood, to protect it from getting further, to protect it, you know, from getting to your critical services? And that's really important. I remember even I've done some interesting phishing uh, campaigns in the past and uh, even one, I was given the challenge to try and get 100% success rate, just to see how good that you can craft a specific phishing. Uh, and there was two, two that I found that was very successful. Um, one was uh, that actually the phishing uh, campaign was speeding tickets, that using speeding tickets as a way to target employees. And also you, you got it to where it was 5.30 PM a Friday <laughs> and you put all the information was accurate. And you're playing on certain things. The attackers will always look for things like the fear of doing something wrong. They'll take advantage of the employee's trust. They, they never want to do things wrong. And the speeding ticket is, 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 you know, is, is doing something wrong. There's a financial component of it. There was a time component of it. So you're really playing on people's emotions. Um, another great technique as well was uh, it was the early days of when um, uh, email uh, was basically putting the footer. This email looks suspicious. Uh, please report it to your IT security team. Um, and that phishing campaign was actually the email itself was purposely done as looking suspicious, but in the footer was actually the fish, which was actually reported to your IT team security team. That was actually the phishing part of the email. Um, so really looking to take advantage of people. And this is something you know, attackers are always looking to craft things which um, will take advantage of people's trust and what they're used to expecting. And it's getting to the point where even a lot of those phishing attacks are getting so difficult even I know as you know security professionals are getting very difficult for them even detecting and be able to tell the difference between the authentic one and the malicious one so you're absolutely right that it needs to be a de- defense in depth and, and a layered approach for sure and,
1: and um, you, even sometimes job like you don't you just need to make sure your basic hygiene is good right so I can give three or four yep. examples right so uh, multi-factor authentication right Uh I think it's an absolute must control, right? So to make sure Mm -hmm. you're including a second layer of security if your identity is compromised, right? So that no one can access any services Um, using strong passwords, 15 plus character passwords. Mm -hmm. So in in my organization, we use passphrase. But we also make sure that the most commonly used password, the top 50, 60 most commonly used password, (laughs) it cannot be used as a password right? As simple as that, because we blacklisted yeah. <laughs> uh, things like stale accounts, right? We run a mm-hmm. campaign every three months to see if an account is not used for more than 90 days, we disable it, right? We are mm-hmm. okay to take those noise. Uh, what else, right? Uh, we have um, if if a password spray attack or a brute force attack, brute force, force mm-hmm. for example, um, if there was more than a certain number of unsuccessful attempts, attack, the account gets locked. So my point here is You probably, you know, not need only technical um, or technology solutions, right? The need for better hygiene,
0: the need for better...
1: That is absolutely critical.
0: And it's getting into one of the things I I really love is the the book that I, you know, uh, some friends of mine wrote a few years ago, which is the uh, ACs of Cybersecurity, which is also, it's about... That we need to evolve from from not just doing this point in time awareness training, which is a checkbox approach, but also getting to the point where you're able to then in influence people's behaviors, and this is where you do continuous awareness. This is where you do, you know, you're trying to improve and get more people to practice security in a good way, and then ultimately, if you keep doing that, if you do the awareness and you 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 know, um, what's it. Uh, can try to you know uh, persuade behavior. You can also get to bringing a, an organization's culture as being a security culture, that therefore everybody will work together and everyone will look at, out for each other, and that that's the part where you know people are then not afraid to speak out. People, um, I remember going to a session recently. Recently, there was actually the fear of employees about reporting incidents because um, they were afraid of, of you know showing that they accidentally clicked on something. And it's important that we get to where a culture that people are not afraid to speak out. People are not afraid to report incidents. They're not afraid to say when they see something suspicious. Uh, and that's really where we start getting into where the organization starts working together. Uh, so absolutely kind of moving through and getting into that culture DNA of an organization. One of the things I'd like to kind of ask you about, uh, you know, we've been hit with, of course, many organizations with a pandemic in the past few years. And you know, a lot of organizations have had to shift to working remotely 100%. You know, some organizations have had all employees working remotely, which meant that a lot of them had to change the way they did remote access or VPNs or access critical infrastructure. Um, and now, of course, you know, in the last year, we've seen you know, restrictions moving away more employees starting to come back into the office, but it's still not quite there. It's still a very much, some are still fully remote, some are still back in, you know, moving back to the office, some are still in hybrid. Uh, what have you seen, um, you know, with with this shift in, in, in work-life balance and, and working remotely and, and in the office, Is it, are you seeing more employees move back into the office in, in your locations? Um, Or is it still somewhat a hybrid, uh, flexible approach?
1: It's a hybrid. We are flexible, but we also encourage people to come back to work because we feel the physical connect and the collaboration which comes with the physical connect is uh, irreplaceable. Uh, Anyways, uh, from a security point of view, look, from from a CIO point of view, it was a huge digitalization, digital transformation opportunity. Mm -hmm. There are two things happened. right? One, uh, we have opened to, you know, Everyone working from home, which uh, challenged our traditional infrastructure, your VPN capacity, your network capacity, uh, you know, uh, you look into a lot of aspects of infrastructure to make sure, you know, you can support. Like before COVID, um, I had 2000 users probably, you know, accessing my VPN. Because majority mm-hmm. of them are in office and they don't want to use VPN and post-COVID, it was 12,000, right? So, <laughs> am I ready for a six times more increased bandwidth or network or a, or a traffic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a big infrastructure-related challenge. Second was a lot of these, sort of keep our workloads, which was traditionally accessible only on the prem, um, mm-hmm. which was running on the prem and which was only accessible in our network, Um, now we have to make it more accessible. We have to move it as an edge Mm -hmm. application and make it accessible for people working from home, right? So, um, and it also resulted in a lot of cloud transformation, cloud adoption, Mm -hmm. right? So a lot of our workloads, we had to host in cloud uh, from on-prem to make it really accessible, not only for our employees, but to our third parties, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So... um, that was the second big aspect which put a lot of stress to us from a security point of view. So mm-hmm. from where I, I'm looking, right? This is where security has to play a balancing act. Right, If you go with or increase the size and the length of the wall, we probably uh, cripple the business where security yeah. really come up with the risk minimizing actions and facilitate an environment where business can eventually operate. So what we did in this case is actually uh, start focusing more on moving from perimeter security to mm-hmm. uh, started focusing on core security, right? Okay. Our focus is now related to our applications, right? Our core and more related to who is accessing, right? Identity, right? Um, because today, a lot of these things which is accessible or the cloud or the edge, you don't mm-hmm. need your company-issued laptop. You can still access it yep. from your personal laptop. So all the EDRs which we have deployed is of no use anymore, right? Now, I have yep. no control on the Wi-Fi security of someone's home, right? Is it weak, is it, is it vulnerable? Is it secure? And someone, what what the credentials? No yeah. control, right? <laughs> so what only I can control today is what is being accessed by these connections, right? So we have yep. to make the right logic and right security controls to ensure that that anything which is not a valid connection can be flagged. Um, and second, identity, right? Make sure that those uh, uh, multi-factor authentication and all those aspects have been planned. We also now rely a lot on VPN security also if for the folks mm-hmm. using VPN, because again, we have a lot of things to cloud, but we still have a significant amount of core application, not mm-hmm. all our edge. My were historically, 20% core was 80%, post-COVID, it's 64 okay. But we still okay. have our most critical application as core, which you need VPN access. Now, we have implemented mm-hmm. a lot of controls around VPN security to make sure our third-party traffic is monitored more or scrutinized more uh, to make sure mm-hmm. that we do. Now, we also have a lot of uh, engagement with our key third parties who have access to our data or to our services to demonstrate to us they have good security practices there we always tell that people are the weakest link but I I think your weakest link so you are as weak as your weakest supplier in your supply chain as simple as that right yeah. so yeah. I always you, try
0: to reverse it you know always it's it's you know looking at people is how do we empower them so they can become the strongest link how do we give them the right resources and tools and knowledge so that they can be stronger uh perimeter you know because you're absolutely right when when we think about I remember, um, somebody used a great metaphor uh, when I was doing a, a, a scissor round table event. And uh, it was, you know, the, when, when they changed, it was almost like they had one big massive highway that came into their office and that was their internet connection. And the only needed is to secure, secure that. And post pandemic, it was almost like they had like 20,000 different lanes that came into the office now. And it was almost impossible for them to have security at every single one of those entry points. And to the point is absolutely, and we can't be expected to secure people's homes. Yep. You know, that's something that, you know, it's it's beyond organization security. So you're absolutely right. That it is, as we move to things like, you know, BYOD is, is real. Uh, but now I always refer to it as bring your own office. It's almost like employees are little clouds of their homes. They're almost like micro clouds um, that will basically be accessing from and to. And uh, to your point, you know, you start need to think about what is they have, you know, getting down to the granular rules. But what can they access, and what security controls do they need to satisfy? Um, a lot of that comes down to the identity has been uh, being able to verify and continuously verify identities. Makes sense. So one one of the things I'd like to talk about two two trends that's been in in, in the industry. So two of the trends. One has been. Um, Around passwordless authentication, and I've kind of got to the point where you know, when we talk about passwordless, I don't like to use the word passwordless by itself because it usually comes without context. Um, I like to think of it as more as a passwordless experience, mm-hmm. that the password is moving into the background, and not necessarily because it gives that false impression that it's disappearing. Yeah. But what it's really doing is it's it's just changing the experience. Yeah. That there still is a secret that's being exchanged. What's your you know view on on that password experience in the future of authentication?
1: I think it's uh it, I think it's a, in my opinion um, it will be a good change. So we still authenticating right. So password is just a method of authentication. <laughs> so we can actually use biometrics. It's, it's available today. Mm-hmm. It's already uh, the technology is out there, but we have not been able to you know popularize it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure that actually uh, you know. In future, that's one way we will be, you know, moving away from passwords to a different way of authentication and security. Mm-hmm. Look, historically, we had these physical tokens to authenticate. So, I'm talking about maybe, you know, last decade, right? So, it's not, yep. it's not something that's <laughs> not there. Right? Yeah. yeah,
0: I yeah. think I had my tokens, hardware exactly. tokens, 20 years ago.
1: Exactly, <laughs> so. exactly. So, but the point here is actually since I bring a CIO perspective as well as a CISO perspective as a CISO, you only think about securing your uh, company and reducing the risk, minimizing the risk, hmm. eliminating the risk. But the truth here is actually, you know, security is existing because there's a business which is, you know...
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh,
1: yeah. employee experience has to be, you know, we need to watch out for, right? Um, we need to... You know, I'm not sure passwordless will it be a better employee experience or less employee experience? I'm not sure. I'm not able mm-hmm. to make. And we also need to think mm-hmm. about non-user uh, authentication, right? So, mm-hmm. so um, how do you authenticate to your OT legacy systems, right? So yeah. I can see passwordless happening, how you access your laptop or your physical mm-hmm. asset. That I can see happening. But when you are accessing an application or when you are accessing a service, I I I still think there will be, uh, you know, a password or multi-factor
0: authentication Yeah, maybe. Something changing in the background that's the secret that's enabling that because you're absolutely right, is that I think it's that, you know, that consumer experience that people want to have in the, in the enterprise. And I think with, with devices, you're absolutely right that, you know, that will be the, the primary area. Um, but you get into a lot of applications and services, which will still be around for many years, Yeah, that the authentication won't change, you know, and, and that service will remain. So therefore... Uh, we just have to find ways to, to work with the new and the old. And hopefully, you know, services and applications will help, you know, provide that experience to be much better. Um, and, you know, the whole, I think my goal is ultimately to try and get where we're not having people choosing passwords and it done for them. Um, yeah. And they just need to have a way of unlocking access to those uh, credentials. Another big buzzword as well has been around zero trust and, and least privilege. Um, and I've, I've got the point where one thing, I, you know, what, what you said was absolutely right is that security doesn't exist by itself. It's it's there to support the business and everything you have to do is a balance between making sure that you're empowering the business to do what it needs to be doing in a, in a secure way, but also a resilient way. And it's all about supporting the business to, to be able to succeed. And zero trust and least probably sometimes has that negative approach to security. It's like, it's, it's the negative wording that, what do you mean? You're not trusting our people anymore or you're not trusting. So I'd like to think of uh, one thing I've got to the point is referring to it is now is that if you're going down this zero trust, least privilege path, you also need to be thinking about zero friction security. It's about security that is not causing, you know, the employee to, to struggle to do their job. It should always be actually helping them do their job better. Um, so, anything that your thoughts around when you hear zero trust and there's been a lot of talk around, um, what's what's the first things that comes to mind when you think of here zero trust?
1: I see it as a framework, which mm-hmm. I believe I believe most of the organization has already implemented without claiming it as zero trust. So, you know mm-hmm. what we are talking about authentication and authorization and you know least privilege. All these are like key, uh, I will say key um, criteria's mm-hmm. which will. Help you develop that zero trust framework. I love when you mentioned about, you know, do we have trust issues? Because I personally feel, you know, when you talk to a non technical person or a non cyber person about zero mm-hmm. trust, especially from business, I think <laughs> it's giving a wrong impression, right? It it's giving an impression that as cyber professionals, we have trust issues, which is yes. not, <laughs> <laughs> not like the case, right? That's, so, yeah, yeah it, it's a buzzword. I believe it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, uh, it's a framework, and I believe you can achieve it not in one way, in many ways. Yes. Uh, and But end of the day, what you're talking is actually, yeah, I'm just ensuring least privileges. I'm sh- ensuring that I'm having the right authentication and authorization before mm-hmm. anyone can do anything right. To me, that's zero trust.
0: Absolutely. I will say that one of the best the best phrase I was here and comes to mind is it's a mindset in how you wish to operate your business and there's many paths to zero trust um, to, to, as, as a strategy and as a framework. Um, and you're always you're always on the journey. you, you never complete it. It's, you always have to keep kind of progressing and keep improving towards it. Any what, what's, what's the next direction for you?' what's, what's uh, the future kind of path for you? Um, uh, what's next on your mind or area or, 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 to, 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 to take on or to tackle?
1: So I think uh, we are uh, focusing a lot on cloud, not focusing a lot on OT security, hmm. focusing a lot on third party security. Uh, third party security I briefly mentioned earlier when I mentioned remote working, but the truth here is if you are working with a vulnerable third party, you're making yourself vulnerable, right? So mm-hmm. how do you, how do you ensure? Like we talked about uh, perimeter security, no more relevant. Mm-hmm. Remote working happening. Yeah. Think about it, right? As an organization, you have you work with a lot of third parties who may have access or may not have access to your systems, applications, to your services, mm-hmm. and you have no what control you have on their security uh, uh, posture, right? So this is where we probably need to do a better job working with. Mm-hmm you know, our uh, business stakeholders when you onboard a third party, right? You also Mm -hmm. need to go back and retroactively look who are your highest third parties and how do you, you know. Anyway, so to me, that's a big area which uh, we need to focus on. So there are a lot of things which, trust me, this is Mm -hmm. definitely not a, uh, we always have something to focus on. (laughs) So there's no time for us to, be relaxed <laughs> The pause, cyber, <laughs> But I don't believe in all those cliche statements like, why oh, don't, uh, you know, what keeps me up in the night. I, I don't. I don't. Mm. Because I think uh, that's truly really cliche because end of the day, uh, one of the things that we do bad in cyber, we make, we mm. freak out people. We make it look like so, uh, so uh, scary. Is, it's a scary. It's you
0: scary. Know, it is yes, a scary. The, scary the industry is scares.
1: <laughs> and, and I think cyber security, we are, like, you know, uh, we're like traffic police, right? So the traffic signals are not slowing you down, to be honest. Traffic signals ensure you reach your end destination safely and securely, (laughs) and most probably faster, right? And if there's no traffic, I'm pretty sure that we'll have traffic accidents, which will slow you down further. So to me, as a cybersecurity professional, we need to know what you're protecting, what's your core business processes. You need to make sure you have a layered control, to, prefer, to reduce the probability of an attack. But you also need to invest in your backups and, you know, your strategy. So in case if something happens, you can reduce the
0: impact of that attack
1: and you need to, you know, enjoy your work, right? So
0: <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. I think what you reminded me is that sometimes, though, was with, the, with the, the traffic police, uh, sometimes uh, the security team is doing a lot of roadworks at the same time. And sometimes <laughs> with the roadworks, there's a lot of uh, detours to go in order to get to your final destination. Yeah. But let's hope that uh, that experience and, and Absolutely, you're right. And, you know, The goal is is always making sure that the, the person gets to the final destination yeah. uh, and, and in a time that makes them successful uh, and how they're measured and, and and help them do their job uh, and, and, and help the experience be better. And I think one of the more, most important things is just to make sure that we remember is that the the key metric in in all the thing we do is, is user experience, is that we make people want to use security, and Agreed. that it's enjoyable and it helps them be successful. Agree. So so any final any final words of wisdom that you would like to share with the audience? Uh, anything I mean, that you know for the audience listening in?
1: Yeah, I think I think uh, first of all, thanks for the opportunity, Joe. I know it's a very popular podcast. You've got a big fan base. <laughs> so
0: <that's, laughs>
1: thanks. Okay, so for people listening to me, look, I think uh, cybersecurity is an exciting area. Um, I do meet a lot of young professionals. I do a lot of mentoring mm-hmm. and you know, and also in many forums I interact. I think there's a lot of interest for young professionals to Come mm-hmm. and join cybersecurity profession, but I would like to give an advice to them through using this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, what I like to tell them that cybersecurity is not as sexy as we always see in movies, like we <laughs> hacker. I know Joe, you are a hacker, but this is ethical hacker, <laughs> right? But, but my True. my point is when you look enterprise cybersecurity, there are different aspects of cyber. There is a policy making which we call it as GRC. There are elements mm-hmm. of audit. Uh, there are things like, you know, as I mentioned, like identity, third party. Uh, so one thing i like to share to the young professionals who may be listening to mm-hmm. this podcast is actually, if you're looking for a career in cyber, right, uh, be here for the long run. Uh, patience and perseverance take you a long way. You need to build skill set on many areas to really get the full depth. It's a huge area. And uh, let's please don't get stuck into only this account bounty
0: or bug pointies yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: it's more exciting and sexy but you know there is a lot of other elements which will also be
0: equally good absolutely I think that's a very very wise wise words of wisdom for the audience um, that you know this this, is, there's, there's a lot of you know aspects sometimes what people see of, of my role is you know the cool you know the ethical hacking the pen testing you know um, but what they don't see is a lot of the, the real research and the book I mean I'm sitting here with tons of books um, next to me that i spend lots of time reading to keep my skills up to date and, and absolutely you know while i also mentor uh, quite a lot of people uh, i also have my mentors as well i still have the people around me that i go to for advice so i think it's really important as you know for, for the audience and it's getting in the industry is you know definitely um you know it, there's a lot of things to learn um, and it's a continuous learning opportunity um, but definitely you know get get your community and get your network get the people who can support you and help you along that journey for sure. Um, so George, it's been fantastic having you on the episode. A really fantastic. And I think this is really great for the audience and to hear your story and, and your journey on um, some of the kind of thoughts and, and prioritization, especially as as you've you know moved from a scissor role to a CIA role. And also, some of that you know, mindset of what you're thinking about. So, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, for the audience, again, tune in every two weeks uh, for this is the 401 Access Tonight podcast, really bringing you, you know, hot topics, trends, news, educational information to really help you on your journey. Um, so, hopefully, this has been an educational episode. Um, again, George, many thanks. And uh, for everyone out there, tune in. Look forward to seeing you in the future and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you,
1: Joe. It's my pleasure. Thank you again. Cyberry the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cyberary.it.